The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning. My name is Darren Smith. It's good to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here at Tower View Baptist Church. Our website is towerviewkc.com, and we are just north of Worlds of Fun uh, off 435 in the North Kansas or the Kansas City North area, I should say, here in Missouri. So if you're watching locally, if you're watching from around the world, thank you so much. We are here to preach the Word of God. And Today's text is going to seem a little weird because it is a uh, text of names, and we're going to get there. We're in a series called The Story of New Beginnings. We're in part three from Nehemiah, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter three. So if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, if you are familiar with the Bible, make sure to turn to Nehemiah chapter three, and I'm just going to get right into it. We're going to read this chapter word for word, all these names, and we're going to do it together because it has a point which, of course, we'll get to in just a little bit. So let's read Nehemiah chapter 3. This is the Word of God inspired by the Spirit given to us for our edification. Here it is, Nehemiah chapter 3, all the way down to the very end into chapter 4. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Verse 3. Then the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Miramoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakuz, repaired. And next to them, Meshillam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshabal, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banah, repaired. And next to them, the Toakites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Verse 6, Jehoiada, the son of Peshaw, and Meshulam, the son of Bosheda, repaired the gate of Yeshunua, and they laid its beams next to its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them was Meltiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite, the men of Gibeon, of Mizpah, and the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Verse 8, next to them was Uziel, son of Hariah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hanani, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephaniah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Israel, repaired. Verse 10. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harub, repaired, opposite the house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. And verse 11. Melchijah, the son of Hiram, and Hasbub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Hel Hashish, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanun, verse 13, the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it, they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. And Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the Rechab, rather, the ruler of the district of Beth. Hakhurim repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it. It set its doors and its bolts and its bars. 
Verse 15, and Shalom, the son of Kolhuza, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shalah and the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. Verse 16, and after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azabuk, the ruler of half the district of Bazur, repaired to the point opposite of the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. Verse 17, after him, the Levites repaired. Rehum, the son of Benai, next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired, the, the, repaired for his district. And after him, his brothers repaired. Bavi, the son of Hinnadad, the ruler of half the district of Keilah, Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. And verse 20, after him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Urias and of Hakuz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, verse 22, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. And after them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite of their house. After them, Azariah, son of Maeshai, uh, son of Ananiah, repaired beside him his own house. Verse 24. After him, Beniunai, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. And Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. And after him, Pedadiah, the son of Parush. And the temple, verse 26, servants living on Ophil, repaired to the opposite, the water gate on the east, and the projecting tower. And after him, the Tekoites repaired another section, opposite the projecting tower, as far as the wall of Ophil. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. And after him, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalf, uh, Zalif, uh, rather, repaired another section. And after him, Meth-Ulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. And after him, Melchijah, verse 31, one of the goldsmiths repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And verse 32, and between the upper chamber and the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. And all God's people said, Amen. Friend, this is the Word of God, and this has importance to us. It may not have a lot of import to your life right now, but I pray as we study this, that as the grass withers and, and everything else fades away, the Word of the Lord stands forever. May God bless the reading of His Word. We're going to get into this after we pray. But may God give us wisdom as we do. Thank you for being with us. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, reading these names that sound so foreign to most of us in English-speaking world, ancient names, but Father, names of people who faithfully served you, who joyfully served you. As it says in Nehemiah 7, the joy of the Lord was truly their strength. Father, we pray as we talk about its importance for us today in the context of the setting back then, that, Lord, this isn't just some fairy tale or story. This is truly what you did through your people. And, Father, may the same energy, may the same commitment, may the same zeal they had for your house and, and your people and your name and your renown and your glory be amongst us by your Spirit today. 
Father, give us wisdom. May your spirit illuminate our hearts to know you better today through this sermon. We pray all this today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Well, I was ready to invite all of you up, if you could virtually, to read these random names at random. And I, I think as, as people or as we do this live at some point this weekend, we want to do that and, and just to call someone up. But to, the trick of all this is to read with gusto. It's to read with some form of confidence because no one really has a clue if you have it right. Although I will say behind the scenes, Pastor Nelson was trying to keep track of uh, all the names and I'm sure he would say them much better than myself. One of the reasons I love this chapter is not the names, but because of what is happening here. This chapter is easy, one of the quickest chapters to read through when you read silently. I mean, let's be honest, you just skip right through it. But publicly, when you read them, it has great effect. Because all these names matter. Each one, all of them. And what excites me about this chapter, and what I pray what excites you, our, our dear listener, is, is that it shows us what the people of God can do when united together for the work of God and the glory of God. When we are united for the work of God and the glory of God, great things happen. Philippians 2.15, Paul reminds his writers in the New Testament that of a similar thought. He says that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among you may you shine as lights in this world. And all these names did just that. They were regular people. They were ordinary people. There were some extraordinary people, some rulers and priests, even the high priest. But this is what God did through his people. And this is what God is still doing, even in times such as these, through his people. But unless you're doing what you're doing in faith, it's not pleasing to God. Unless your aim is for the glory of God, it's not ultimately a good work. This is what Paul said in, to Timothy. He said, for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the, set on the living God, 1 Timothy 4.10. So are you dreading going back to work, whenever that is, however that is in these days? Or are you eager to go to the place where God has put you? Now, some of you are retired, some of you are stay-at-home parents, some of you work uh, physically around people in these days, some of you are virtual. But on that last day, Jesus will not be judging the quantity of our work, but the quality. How much, not how much, uh, uh, we did, but what kind of work we did? Did we meet his standards? Have we tried to take wherever we are, whatever we're doing, all for the glory of God? And that is our big idea today, is that we only have a limited time to serve God. It's not a day to waste. We must make every moment count. Look, we will never have perfect vision or complete understanding, but that is why we build our life on what God says about himself about me, about you, about the nature of life, and about the destiny to come. We are to work until Christ calls us home through death or he returns a second time as he promised. And we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God and he is calling us to do his work, to rebuild, if you will, the, the, the spiritual framework of this world, to evangelize and make disciples. So may we live every day before our God as blind men, pleading for the spiritual vision that you saw here as they physically worked out the, the rebuilding of the walls. So today, we're going to see three essentials to doing God's plan in the world for his glory. We're going to see that we must have a shared goal to do God's plan. We're going to see we must have committed leaders who assist all to do God's plan. And finally, we must have eager laborers who undertake their share to do God's plan. Just a quick reminder of where we've been, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1 
is serving as a cupbearer in, in faraway Persia. He's never been, as far as we know, to Jerusalem, but his brother, his physical brother, Hanai, comes to him and tells him the walls have still not been rebuilt and things are in, in terrible disrepair uh, in the city of Jerusalem. So he prays and he prays and he prays, and finally God puts him, uh, he puts Nehemiah the cupbearer before the king, Artaxerxes. At just the right moment, at just the right time, he's able to persuade, by God's strength, the king to send him back to Jerusalem, send Nehemiah back to Jerusalem with official letters to rebuild the walls. And back in the end of chapter 2, he, he inspects all the, the damage, but he rallies the troops and says, we will do this, we will rebuild. But in the midst of all that, there's terrible trouble. There's Sanballat, there's Tobiah, and there's Geshem, these leaders of the area who are, who are furiated with him because he's rebuilding the walls. But he tells them, our God has told us to do this. And so as we pick it up in chapter 3 with a list of five or six minutes of names and what they did and how they did it, that's where we find ourselves. But I want to start here. As we only have a limited time to serve God, not a day to waste, we must make every moment count. We must first do that to the glory of God by having a shared vision to do God's plans, by having a shared vision to do God's plans. Look, as simple as it is, you can't work together if everyone has a different notion of what you're trying to accomplish. It's like those games you play at leadership functions or leadership training where they tie you all together, and if one group goes this way or one group goes that way, everybody just falls down in the middle because you can't run in opposite ways and make it work. But if one man had thought the purpose was to construct a decorative fence here, the next guy envisioned a fortress. You know, chaos would have ensued. If they had gotten very far, it would have looked ridiculous. They needed to agree here in chapter 3 on a common vision so they could work in a unified, harmonious way. Their task was specific, and it was measurable. It was very simple. Rebuild the walls to provide a defense against the enemies, including the Persian Empire's enemies. And I envy them in their project because they did it in 52 days. And everyone could look there and say, we did it. Maybe you have one of those people in your family who's a construction worker where they built this building or they helped repair this road or they did this or they did that. That's the pride they had. But they had a shared vision as they worked for the glory of God. And friend, the church's task is not so easily attained. Our task, according to Matthew 28, is to see the Great Commission fulfilled by proclaiming the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, 15. But more than just evangelism, more than just sharing the story of Christ, that he died, buried, and he rose again, and Christian, you have a risen Savior, the task requires us raising up churches in every people group that teach the people to obey all that Jesus commanded, Matthew 28, 20. And the supreme goal of God's purpose through his church is that he would be glorified, that his name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. John Piper is well said. It's, it's, it's so quoted these days, it's become commonplace, but he's famous for saying, quote, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And our goal as a church is to spread a passion for God's glory, God's story among the nations by proclaiming the gospel and helping Christians everywhere to their to savor the greatest joy and treasure they have, which is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's our goal. That's our vision. That's our mission. Everything we do for the Lord should have the, that vision, that goal in mind. Even though it's, it's not as immediately obvious how that works out together. For example, if you get the opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus Christ and that person responds to the gospel, that is obviously related to our goal. What about cleaning up 
the kitchen after a church social when we're able to have those again? And what about helping with a task that won't directly result in souls being added to the kingdom? Well, even so, it's a vital task. If no one chose to do it, it could seriously hinder the well-being of our church. And I'm so grateful. We have so many men and women in this church, even in COVID times, that prepare things. They count money. Uh, not just staff, they, they just help through the week. They, you know, our, our praise team, our, our, our people who are just praying, our people who give faithfully and, but, but can't serve in ways they used to. Or, you know, if, if you choose not to do it, you could seriously hinder the church. You could have someone with a grumbling spirit that could absolutely wreck the, the unity that you saw here as Nehemiah 3 had. But together we have a common goal. Or you could do it with joy, and in doing it with joy, God has saved you and made you part of his church. He's made you part of his plan. He gets the glory, and your life radiates the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Again, our goal, church, our goal is to spread a passion for God's glory among the nations as we proclaim him. And you say, Darren, I don't live in the nations. I live in my neighborhood. I've been for years. That's your mission field evangelism is going to look a whole lot different in these days. It starts with just knocking on your neighbor's door. Have you done that? Do you even know who your neighbors are? And by helping all God's people to savor the greatest treasure and joy we have, that's Jesus Christ. That is our goal, to share about Jesus, to raise up disciples who, who follow Jesus and who love him. That's what it's all about. As they were rebuilding this wall, yeah, they were physically putting their work into it, but their goal was the same thing. They wanted to proclaim God's glory among the nations. And when God's house, God's walls were in disrepair, they rallied together. And friend, that's what we must do. We must have a shared goal to do God's plan. That's how we work for him and his glory in these days. Not only a shared goal to do God's plan. Secondly, we must have committed leaders who assist all to do God's plan, to do God's plan. But God accomplishes his purposes through people. But people need leaders to motivate and organize them. The people listening to Nehemiah had been living there, Nehemiah 3 had been living there for years. They had seen it, it became commonplace. You know how it is. This happens in your house. You know that shelf or that closet or maybe even that toilet that needs to be cleaned. And you just, you know, I'm too busy, I'm tired. And that happens. But the wall didn't get built until God raised up Nehemiah, someone to lead the charge, to get out in front of the people and say, let's do this together. It's an interesting that Nehemiah is never mentioned in the chapter. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16, you heard that name, Nehemiah. You remember that here in the chapter? But his labor is behind the whole chapter. Nehemiah three sixteen is actually another Nehemiah historically. But he did at least several things here that leaders should do. And you need to pray these for our leaders of our church. First, a leader must not mind if the credit goes to others. Nehemiah did not make a wall that said, Nehemiah's memorial wall. That's why we are very careful here to put up plaques in honor of people. We, we want to remember the service people gave. But at the end of the day, it's not about the people who serve for a long time. We're so grateful for them. Rather, Nehemiah was committed to the task. He wanted the wall to be built so God's name would be exalted in Jerusalem and his people would no longer be reproached. Nehemiah knew that God would recognize his efforts, and he's laboring to hear the well done that, 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 that we long to, that Jesus told us about on that day when he takes all our work, not just pastors, but every one of our Christian lives and puts it on the scale. 
Will it be burned in the fire or will it stand the test of fire? But a leader must not mind if the credit goes to others. But I think another thing here is you see, as he works together, as God raises up leaders, is a leader must motivate people. The Jews had been back in the land for 90 years. If you go 90 years back in our history, you're going back to 1922. The world wars hadn't even started yet. Isn't that crazy? But then Nehemiah came along, got everyone excited about the idea. They went to work, and they put up the roll in record time, 52 days, despite opposition. And motivation is key to productivity. You pray that God keeps us leaders motivated as we help to lead the charge here at Tower View Baptist Church. At times, it's daunting. At times, we wish we could just bring everybody inside and hug and kiss and do all those things. It, we get overwhelmed too. And you've experienced this. You had a project. You, you didn't get done for a long time. You procrastinated it. But then something changed. Maybe it was a deadline. Maybe your in-laws were coming. You had to clean the house. And you thought, I'm tired of looking at that thing, and I'm going to go do something about that thing. And you got motivated and finished a project rather quickly. But the difficult thing about motivating people is what motivates some turns off others. Even here, Nehemiah probably had some resistance. Nehemiah couldn't get the nobles. Look down at verse 5. The, the nobles of Tekoa to join the project. Now, there's debate. Your, your, your Bible may have the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized with an L. It may have the lowercase lords with an S at the end. But what I really think what Nehemiah is doing here is that Nehemiah is saying there were some nobles, there were some ruling class people who didn't get motivated even before the Lord. He points them out. But one wise thing that Nehemiah did to motivate people is he assigned them to work on a portion of the wall they had interest in. The priests worked on the sheep gate. That's, that's the gate where all the sacrifices, probably tens of thousands of sacrifices would come through, especially during the Passover. But others repaired the wall in front of them. We saw that in uh, verses 10 and 23 and 28 through 30. They had a personal incentive to do their job. Look, things here at church may not always be motivating to you to serve, but what is it that God has called you to? What passion do you have? Have you asked him how that could fit in the ministry and work of his plan? God raises up leaders for that. But leaders also must organize and plan. It's obvious that, that, that Nehemiah 3 was a smooth operation, but it took a lot of planning and a lot of organization. He had to figure out how to break up this huge task and make it into manageable parts. He then had to find available workers to, to coordinate with them so everything fit together. And as we saw last week, planning and prayer are not opposed to one another as long as we don't rely on our plans. And there's nothing wrong with organizing things as long as we're flexible enough to use the strengths and weaknesses of people in those plans. And this is what happens in the body of Christ. Sometimes people emphasize that the body of Christ is a living organism, not an organization. And that is true, and we shouldn't forget that, but we should also remember that every living organism is highly organized. God made us that way in His image. There's nothing wrong, uh, wrong and everything right with organization as long as it furthers the efficiency of things. So you pray for us as leaders. You pray for our church as we, uh, I've asked our share team uh, to consider how we can reach our neighborhood, how we can reach our community in these days. And they're praying for that, asking God for wisdom in that as they go through. But a leader must also delegate. Did you notice how Nehemiah did this? He delegated. He couldn't possibly have done all this work himself. Well, he could have, but it would have lasted. He probably would have died before he saw the first wall built. He had to entrust it to workers and give them the authority to get jobs done. 
And sometimes, to be honest, it's easier just to get the job done than to delegate. But as the job grows, you must do those things. You know, some pastors have their hand in every aspect of ministry, and they, and they burn out because of it. I'm guilty of that over time. But sometimes it's baffling even to people in our own church because I don't have a clue what's going on in some aspects of the ministry. We trust people to do what they've asked, God has asked them to do. God has given gifts to his people, and they are competent to carry on his work. And, and I, of course, I'm available, others are available for that task, but we don't have to have our hand in everything. I couldn't do that and get all that God has assigned me to do. So if God has called you to lead, if God is raising you up, especially to serve within our church or whatever church you belong to, ask yourself, can someone else do this as effectively or more effectively than I can? So by delegating, you're involving more workers to get it done. But a leader must also oversee. This is, this is, delegating does not mean dumping and dictating like a Hitler or Mussolini. To dump something on someone and walk away is not effective leadership. To dictate every detail is not to delegate with proper freedom. Now, Nehemiah delegated the work. You can be sure that he was inspecting the progress. He was like a foreman uh, at a job site, but he was also talking to his leaders. He was helping keep them moving towards the goal. I mean, look down at verse 20. In 320, it notes that Baruch, and there's a specific word here used for Baruch in verse 20. It says, after him, the son of uh, Baruch, the son of uh, uh, Zaphi, repaired another section from the buttress of the door to the house of uh, the high priest. He zealously repaired it. He apparently, Nehemiah knew not only who, what he was doing, but how they were doing it. And, and that word zealous is very clear there. This is the same call that we are, as pastors, called to in 1 Timothy 3. The elders are to give oversight to the flock. The pastors are to watch over the spiritual care of their people. And that involves giving guidance and counsel, but also giving the freedom for people to work out, to carry out what God has given them in accordance with their own gifts and ideas, but ultimately in line with the Scripture. And Nehemiah did that. So as they're progressing towards this goal, he's raising up leaders. But a leader must also give proper praise and recognition. Nehemiah wrote down in detail who was doing what on the project. That was that was enough itself, remembering all those names without writing them down. And so he, some are mentioned as completing more than the section of the wall. But the important thing here, I think, is that Nehemiah recognized every worker. Not, not that he recognized every worker. There, there, there had to be hundreds more. But that God recognized them by including their names here. And I'll be honest, I always get nervous when, when giving out praise because I am prone to forget those details, even when they're right in front of me. But in spite of that, you pray that we recognize the people who faithfully serve around here, who, who do it well to God's glory. But we, we want to go back to verse 5. When you're preaching through a list of names, you look for things like this. Look back at verse 5. A leader must not also give proper recognition. He must not get distracted by those who are uncooperative. Look back at verse 5. I want to harp on this one more time. It says, and... Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. It mentions the nobles of Tekoa who refused to join the project, maybe out of pettiness or, 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 or pride. But to the nobles' shame, the people of Tekoa built two sections of the walls. They got down to it. Now, we don't know why they didn't do it, but Nehemiah didn't expand or expend energy on the nobles. Rather, he worked with the people who were willing there's always that phrase that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and I think that's true, unfortunately. But we're going to be willing to work with people who are willing to grow in Christ, who want to know more about Christ. 
Church member, we're going to reach out to you. We're going we're to try to encourage you. I've asked many of you even over social media the last two weeks or, or phone or text, how is your relationship with Jesus going? How can we encourage you in that? We're going to ask those questions, but it's up to you to respond. You have to take ownership of what God has called you to be and do for his purposes. And those who didn't get involved were, were, were in Nehemiah's terms, were the losers in the long run. We want you involved. Don't let COVID suck the spiritual life out of your spiritual life. Overcome it, serve, and do what all God has called you to do. But you pray for leaders in this church, not just pastors, we appreciate that, but leaders of ministries making decisions on our behalf as we seek to reach our neighborhood and our area for Jesus Christ. So if we're going to work for God's glory, we must have a shared goal. We must have committed leaders, all to do God's plan. But finally, but finally, we must have eager laborers who undertake their share to do God's plan. I mean, chapter 2, verse 18, Nehemiah says, let's arise and build. Working together, they accomplished what no one could have done. There's at least four or five things here they accomplished. Is that the workers were willing to cooperate and coordinate with one another for the overall cause. It's kind of like our first point. Some worked in front of their homes, but many worked in the outlying cities. Uh, after the project was through, they returned home without any daily personal benefit. Perhaps they could dwell more securely in Jerusalem, but they would have enjoyed knowing that the temple was secure behind the walls so they could hold their annual feast. But beyond any personal benefits, they were willing to work for the overall cause, that the name of the Lord would be lifted high among the nations. And so they coordinated it at different projects. Each person knew what his task was, and they did it. But they did it in harmony, in conjunction with others. It would not have worked if one guy built his section but didn't interlock it with the section next to him. You know, it's like when you're, you're, you're playing with those blocks with, uh, with your kids or grandkids. You remember those times when they interlocked? You know that each section of a wall must be locked into the next or it'll fall over. I mean, the guys building the gates had to coordinate with the guys building the walls around the gates. That, kinda, that, that makes sense. And in the church... It is not enough to have a bunch of independent people running around doing their own things. That's why we are unified in our vision to reach people for Christ. We are here to know, grow, share, and serve, to grow our faith among family. That is our goal here at Tower View Baptist Church, and we're not deviating from that. That is the tenor of our lives. Husband, do you have a plan for your family, for their spiritual growth, for your kids, for your grandkids, for your wife? Do you have a plan for that? Do you plan so much in other places you haven't planned even your own spiritual life? We should all work together, though, for this one goal, is to grow and support the overall cause of Jesus Christ. So we need willing workers not only to, to be on the same page, but also to work with each other. I mean, everyone couldn't do the same job. Some worked on the walls. Some worked on the gates. Some hung those large gates. I mean, this was without modern machinery that we know now. Some are strong enough to carry heavy stones or bricks. I'd, I'd leave that to our young guys, like uh, Intern Lane and other guys here to do that. But uh, others had to do lighter work. But each worker was important to the cause. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that the body is not one member, but many. The foot dare not think it's not a vital part of the body because it's not a hand. And the hand would be foolish to despise the foot. Each part has a specific and important function to fulfill. Do you know where you're, you're at in the body of Christ? I mean, I know it all looks different now with COVID in so many practical ways, but have you considered how God might use you 
Have you considered how God can, can work through you with each other in the church, even socially distant, perhaps even virtually for his glory? Each part depends on the other as we go forward in these times. But some workers were willing to work outside their strength. That's another note here. I mean, did you hear that from the very first? The priests, including the high priest, got involved in building the sheep gate as a portion of their wall. I know Pastor Nelson and, and Lane and Pastor Craig and all those who've been around our, 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 our church, who've gone to seminary, we did not take a, a seminary course into how to build walls. We didn't take a seminary course into how to run a church during a pandemic either, by the way. But you notice that they had to get some pointers, these priests in verse 1, on how to build and hang a gate, but they were willing to do it. They didn't care what they did. They just said, put me in, coach. I'm willing to serve wherever you want me to serve. They didn't have a Jonah attitude. They had a Barnabas attitude. And some of the city officials in verses 9 and 12 rolled up their sleeves and joined the people in the work. They didn't think that manual labor was beneath them. And some of the workers, I, I love this note in, in, in verse 8, the goldsmiths and the perfume makers. You know, I, I would have put the perfume makers at the dung gate because at least they would have had, made it smell better, you know. We'll get there in a minute. But these kinds were not used to rugged labor. They had aches and muscles they'd never had. They, uh, they, but they joined in the work. One man made repaired with his, with his daughters. And let me, in verse 12, you know, let me take note of that. You know, we, this is not some spiritual leadership thing. These were women who were willing to serve, and, and they, were, they, they did more than made lunch and lemonade for the guys. Sometimes people will say, I'm not going to go to work on a cleanup crew because that's not my spiritual gift. Well, your spiritual gift should, should help you know where to concentrate your efforts, but there are many jobs that are, we're called to pitch in, whether it's your gift or not. I had one seminary professor tell me that if you're not willing to clean toilets or change diapers in the nursery, you should not be a pastor, and I think that's absolutely true. But Christian, if your spiritual gift is teaching, but you're not willing to, to sweep the floor or, or pick up after someone, or if your spiritual gift is the gift of encouragement, but you're not willing to roll up your sleeves, then you've missed the complete point of Nehemiah 3 and the whole scripture. The point of Nehemiah 3 is that everyone got involved. And the New Testament is clear, Christian. Hear this. is that if you're a Christian, you are in ministry, and you will give account to the ministry to your master someday. See Matthew 25. This is what the reformers talked about, those old dead guys. The, we call it the priesthood of the believer. That is that every Christian is involved in the work of God because every Christian is called by God to be in the work of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The danger is that there's a one-talent Christian will think that his part is insignificant and isn't useful to the master. But the master expects every one of his children to use what he has given them for his glory. And that's why some workers were willing to do less glamorous or desirable jobs. Poor Malchijah, verse 14, he repaired the refuse, or your Bible may say the dung gate. Now, sometimes we name things because it's just a, it's a name and we just name it, but most of the time, we name things because it has a specific meaning. This was at the south of the city, and this is, it opened to the Kidron Valley, where the people brought all their trash to burn. If he is the same Malchijah mentioned in, in verse 31, the same Malchijah in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Nehemiah was a goldsmith by trade. And he also helped out with repairs on other parts of the walls. There were probably plenty of volunteers to repair the fountain gate or even the sheep gate. But who wanted to repair 
the dung gate. There's a part of our city just south of our church called Front Street, kind of uh, that area where if you drive on 435, woo, and you hit it at the right time of the day, if you're falling asleep at the wheel, you're not asleep anymore. You smell it. You own it, and you know it. And that's not a place where you put on your resume, man, I worked on Front Street, and woo, I smell good every day when I came home. Malkijah, whoever this guy was, was willing to do whatever God asked him to do, even serving at the dung gate. He realized that the job needed to get done, and he was willing to do it for the cause. You say, Darren, this is all well and good, but what does this have to do with me? Would you pray this week that the Lord, would you say, Lord, use my gifts as fully as possible, even in ways and in times and in situations and contexts, Lord, to advance all the purposes in this world? that your son Jesus died to achieve? Have you even prayed that? Have you been so shocked into your boots by COVID? And we need to be responsible, friends. We need to take precautions, whatever that means in these days. But have you been so shell-shocked by what this world has done the last year or so that you haven't even prayed that prayer? Maybe you were a faithful servant before all this and your knees were cut out, your energy was cut out from underneath you to serve the Lord because you can't do it in the way you want to. Well, Malkijah's here to tell you that if you want to serve the Lord, sometimes it looks different. Just be faithful to wherever he calls you. Let me also share with you that the world estimates your importance by, by, by our, our churches maybe, by how the people are serving you. But God estimates your importance by how you are serving people. God doesn't care uh, the number Uh, of people you're serving. God just calls you to be faithful in how he's called you to serve those people. That could be your family right now. That could be your coworkers. That could be anything. I mean, if Jesus, Malchijah is almost like a picture of Jesus because Jesus in John 13, when all the disciples came in with their muddy, stinky, dirty, dust-filled feet, what did he do? He did something that we are so well aware of. He, he, He took off his outer garment and he washed the disciples' feet. And Peter said, no, Lord, you can never do that to me. But, but when he started serving Peter, Peter said, well, Lord, just give me a bath. Just go ahead and wash me down. And Jesus, that wasn't what Jesus did. But he said, the greatest among you will be a servant. Friend, have you even asked the Lord, Lord, what is it that I can serve in, serve you in these days? And friend, although you may not ever be mentioned in a history book, if you're serving God and his kingdom, you're making history eternally and daily. Your name may never make a chapter three of any book anywhere. Or if it does, it may be long forgotten as these names were and everything they did and the importance of what they did. But if you're faithful to God, he remembers, he sees, he knows. Colossians 3 says we, don't, we, we, we have one master we're trying to please, and that is Jesus Christ. And all who are serving God are also receiving God. Remember 1 Peter 4, 11? Let him who serves, serve in the strength that God supplies. Christian friends, you may not have the strength you used to have. You may not have the abilities you used to have. You may be more frail than you used to have. Or you may just have lost energy due to, to whatever in these days. Serve in the strength, Peter says, that God supplies. 1 Peter 4.11. It's not about the quantity. It's not about uh, the, 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 the making the front page. It's about the quality of the work that we do for Christ that matters. Would you be faithful to that task? Non-Christian, I haven't forgotten about you. 
all this is well and good. We've spoken to Christians for the last uh, some time, but I want you to know that as we close, that the only way that you can be pleasing to God is not by the works you do for God or could do for God or plan for God. The only way you can be pleasing to God is the work that Jesus Christ did once for all of us, being God himself. That Jesus Christ, fully God, was born of a virgin, born under the law at just the right time. He lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died. He took the wrath of God, Jesus did, on that cross. He was buried. He had three days later, God, uh, Peter preached in Acts 2, he authenticated him, he, he proved it, he, he set a seal of approval on him, on Jesus, his son, and he said, look, the only way to heaven is through him. And Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended, and he's coming back. And the truth is, the only way you can be pleasing to God, friend, is not your works, but it's the work given once and for all by Jesus Christ. Turn to him, repent, and trust him as your Savior. But if you're a Christian watching this, I just pray. I pray that you pray this week, Lord, who, where, what, how, and why of serving you. And if you're still serving the Lord in whatever capacity, then praise the Lord, God, give me strength as much as I can. But guys, this chapter is important because it tells us we only have a limited time to serve God, not a day to waste. May we make every moment count for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us your son. Thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to even serve you. Ephesians 2.10 says that before all eternity, we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves as a gift of God, but you've prepared for us works to do. Father, works that show, as James 2 says, that we truly have faith, not works that save us for eternity or forgive our sins, but works that show that we truly know and appreciate and can only begin to give a part of our lives back to the fact that your son gave the only work that can save us on the cross. We thank you for the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much for watching. On behalf of our staff at Tower View Baptist Church, we want to thank you for joining us. You're welcome anytime in person, mask required. Uh, at our 1030 service, you can even drive up in your car. Uh, at our at our location at 7301 Northeast 50th Street in 64119 zip code here in the States. Thank you so much. If we can serve you in any way, drop us a message, call or text us at 816-368-1330. We'd love to connect with you. But we pray that wherever you are, that you're in the service of God, even in times where it looks much different than before. Guys, we love you. May God bless you. Have a great day. Again, thank you so much for joining us. God bless.